growing, thriving, spirit-filled. And so as we look at this, we're asking God to teach us, to teach us how to be followers of Jesus who live in this way and follow him in the way that we see here in Acts. So real quick, as we restart, I, I did want to remind you of a couple of things. One is, just as we're going through this, what we're doing each Sunday is we're kind of taking big chunks uh, of Acts um, so that we can kind of move through it. So we won't go over every verse. Um, but I do want to encourage you um, during this series to read through Acts yourself. Because um, it's, it's amazing to witness. I mean, we heard just a few minutes ago, this is the incredible ways God was at work in the life of the early church. And so I encourage you, it'll be life-giving for you just to read through it yourself. Um, I, even, I did this over the Christmas break, read through the whole book of Acts just a couple of times. And it can be really helpful just to kind of take that approach. So I encourage you to do that. We've also got a daily Bible reading plan. You can find that on the website on the sermon series page. Or you can pick up one of the, um, the sermon series cards in the lobby. And it will tell you what we're going to be looking at each week. So you can kind of follow along. But I encourage you to be in the Word. Read it along with us because we won't get to cover everything. Um, there will also be discussion guides for life groups uh, that focus on Acts. And then also there's several resources on the series uh, webpage and on the card that you can use some great resources to help you kind of dive further into Acts. Um, so this morning, again, we're restarting or kind of diving back into uh, the book of Acts. And as we do, I, I wanted to start with something a, a little bit different. I want to start with a sound. So I, we're trying to set this up. Can you guys play the sound that we have? Can you play it one more time? Okay. <laughs> So does anybody know what that is? If you're of a certain generation, you know exactly what that is. All right, what is that? Law and order, right? Okay, it's this iconic sound, gung gung, right, from law and order. Now, I was a huge law and order fan. I've kind of recovered from that uh, a little bit, like most people, I think, because uh, once they started making, like, the sixth version of law and order, you kind of got burned out. Uh, but I love law and order. I loved watching law and order um, and, and when you hear that sound, you immediately think of all law and order, and you think all the things that came with that. And one of the things that always came with that, it was, it was so predictable, wasn't it? Like, the, it was such a formulaic show, but I still loved it. And at the end, it was almost without fail, what would happen is they'd end up in a courtroom, and there'd be the defense attorney and uh, the, the, the other attorney would be cross-examining them, and they would they'd kind of be going back and forth, and there'd be this key witness in this dramatic moment uh, in, in the show where this key witness, kind of where everything pivoted on what this witness said or didn't say. It was all down to the witness. And I thought about that because as we're getting back into Acts, this word witness is so significant in the book of Acts. At the very beginning of Acts, Jesus says these words in Acts 1.8. He said, uh, to his disciples. He said, I want you to understand that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, he says. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. He calls his followers witnesses. Now, the Greek word for witness is martus. Can you say that? Martus. Say it with me. Martus. Martus may sound familiar to you because we draw an English word from that Greek word called martyr. And it comes from the same root word as witness. This word for witness, martus, is used over and over in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts. And witness or martus in scripture, it can mean several different things. It can mean kind of a witness in a legal sense, kind of like law and order. 
uh, in a courtroom setting. It can mean witness in a more historical sense, that you actually were a spectator or present for an event, and you can speak with firsthand knowledge about something that happened. It can also carry with it uh, a witness in an ethical sense. So this idea that by uh, standing for something or suffering for something. So you can see how that connects with this idea of martyrdom. So martus, this word witness, is used over and over and over. So just to give you a couple of examples, um, we have those scriptures? Yeah, so Luke 21, 12, Jesus says this. He says, you will be um, brought before uh, all these um, uh, uh, kings and governors. He's talking to his disciples here, and for my name's sake. And he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Again, later in Luke 24, 48, he says, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And you are witnesses of these things. And then it goes on in Acts one twenty two, The apostles selected someone to replace Judas. And they said, this person must become with us a witness, a witness of the resurrection. Acts 2.32, at Pentecost, when the followers of Jesus are filled with the Spirit, they tell of the mighty works of God. And, God, and Peter stands up and he says, we are all witnesses, witnesses of the risen Jesus. Acts 8.25, another example. Now when Peter and John had testified, they spoke the word of God. The same root word there for testified is martus. So over and over and over, we encounter this idea, uh, even this word witness, of those who are witnesses uh, of or for Jesus. And it appears in Acts so many times, I think, because it's crucial to understanding the identity and the mission of the church, this idea of witness. It is a part, in other words, of the calling of every follower of Jesus to live as a witness. So it begs the question then, what does it mean uh, for, for you and for me to live as a witness? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? And so that's the question I want us to dive into today. And to answer that question, I want us to look at Acts uh, chapter 4, which um, we just heard read a few minutes ago. I want to encourage you to open your Bible there to Acts chapter 4. If you want, you can grab one of those blue Bibles in the seat back in front of you, and it's on page 772. But I want to encourage you to have Acts chapter 4 open this morning. So just a little context as we look to answer this question, what does it mean to be a witness? A little context for Acts chapter 4. In Acts 3, uh, what we find is that Peter and John had just encountered a man who had been crippled uh, pretty much his whole life. We're told he'd been crippled for 40 years outside the temple. And as they, uh, they're walking past this man, he calls out, he asks for alms, and what they say is, we, what, we don't have any money, we don't have silver or gold, but what we have, we give to you. And in that moment, what they do is they pray that this man would be healed through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's healed. And so then this crowd begins to gather around, because this man goes into the temple with them, he, he, all this attention, because everybody knows who this guy is, and God's done this incredible miracle. So this huge crowd gathers around, and Peter and John use this as an opportunity to tell the crowd, to tell these people about who did this and that it was the risen Jesus. And so they get to share the good news of the kingdom of God that has come in the person of Jesus. And as you can imagine, um, the religious authorities do not like this, right? The religious authorities don't like it, particularly because they had been the ones that helped orchestrate the death of Jesus, so now you have people in the temple talking about this Jesus is actually alive, and you have thousands of people coming to faith in him and miracles being performed 
in his name. And so, like we just read, uh, what they do is they come to Peter and John and they say, in verse 7, by what power or by what name do you do this? To which Peter and John answer in verse 10, we do this by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead. By him this crippled man is standing before you. And this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Notice that that Peter and John, in their response um, to these religious authorities, what they do is they focus exclusively on Jesus, right? What's brought them there is this crowd, is the the miracle, but they use the opportunity again to focus attention on Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and the hope of salvation. Their goal, in other words, even as they're being brought before these authorities and interrogated and threatened, was to tell them, to tell these men about the Jesus who came to seek and save them. See, they're witnessing to those who are seeking to stop them. And this, I would say, is the first and most essential aspect of being a witness. To be a witness is to tell others about Jesus. To be a witness is to tell others about Jesus. In other words, witness always has this evangelistic purpose. It always has as its goal, as its aim, to help others understand their need for Jesus and his love for them. Notice, too, uh, as Peter and John are, uh, are talking with these words, they don't pull any punches, right? Did you notice what they said? They said to them, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, talk about poking the bear, right? They don't pull any punches. They say, look, you crucified. And Peter says, this is what happened, and you were a part of it. And I think this is important because what Peter is saying, look, it, it, to be saved, you have to first be willing to acknowledge your guilt. To be saved, you have to first be willing to acknowledge your guilt. And the same is true for all those who come to faith in Jesus. Salvation, in other words, it it implies, right, that something is wrong, that that something is off, that there's something we need to be saved from. And namely, our rebellion against God and its consequences, which ultimately led to Jesus being crucified on the cross. Now, this, this reality that, that this is part of the message of the cross is never easy to hear. None of us like to hear that we are guilty, that we too are a part of what put Jesus on the cross. But I think it's particularly challenging in our current cultural moment to hear that. I encounter a lot of people um, who are very open to the idea and the person of Jesus, at least a version of Jesus. And they're open to to Jesus, but they tend to reject or at least pull back from this idea of sin or of guilt. Um, They have this this idea that that they they don't feel comfortable with that and maybe even would say they don't agree that they've actually done anything to wrong God. They just want God to love them, but they don't want to admit there's any sin or there's any guilt. And I think that's in part because our Western culture, our Western secular culture, In it, we've adopted this belief that one of the worst things that you could ever do is to think anything negative about yourself. 
right? Mark Sayer, an Australian pastor and author, he says that in the West, the greatest goal has become to discover your true self and to be who you really are and to accept yourself. To do this, you need total freedom from anything that would restrict your autonomy, authorities, traditions, commitments, any external expectations, anything, in other words, that would keep you from discovering and being your true self. And he makes this really interesting observation after he says that. He says, in this way of seeing life, he says, sin is redefined in the popular imagination as anything that would make me unhappy or make me feel bad about myself. That's the thing to be avoided. That's the thing that we strive not to do. That's sin in our popular culture. In other words, one of the most fundamental commitments that people and our world now have, especially in the West, is to avoid at all costs anything that doesn't make me happy. Freedom is now defined as radical autonomy and the ability to pursue whatever makes me feel good about myself. The problem is this way of life doesn't ultimately lead to those ends. It doesn't lead to happiness. It may lead to temporary pleasure, but not to purpose or to meaning or to contentment. In fact, this understanding of happiness and of freedom and autonomy actually leads on this endless search for our true selves. We look over and over and over trying to discern who we really are. And it covers over any inkling, or at least we're unwilling to admit, the reality, the deeper reality that we are actually broken. There's something deeply wrong with us. So what ends up happening is that we get led around by the nose by our desires. Whatever we feel, whatever we want, what would make us happy, what would complete us, what would make us our true selves. We get trapped in this cycle of pursuing these desires. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says that we are all slaves to our desires, our flesh, and our sin apart from Jesus. We chase and we chase. We reinvent over and over because our desires are what lead us or what dominate our lives. And I think one of the dangers for us as followers of Jesus is that we are immersed in this reality, this cultural moment, and we are influenced by it. And that we ourselves can kind of buy into and be lured into believing that you can have the message of the good life uh, with God and of salvation without ever talking about sin, right? A lot of churches fall into this place, right, this, this pitfall. Let's just talk about God's love. Let's never talk about guilt. Let's have salvation without sin. And that's the danger for us as followers of Jesus. But I think the first step in kind of remedying this reality for us is, is bearing witness ourselves to our own need for Jesus. It's not to go to others and accuse them or to stand before them and condemn them or confront them, but to walk in humility and to walk with transparency about our own desperate need for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Richard Bauckham wrote this amazing book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And in it, he talks about this idea of witness in the Gospels. And he says this. He says, uh, faithful witness is a unique and uniquely valuable means of offering access to Jesus. Witness is a means of offering others access to Jesus. 
See, people can actually encounter Jesus through you. That's incredible. That's part of the message of Acts. This, this idea of witness is that the spirit lives within you. The spirit of Jesus lives within you. And people can encounter the spirit of Jesus. That by that witness, we are able to point to someone other than ourselves. But that witness only points to Jesus if we're honest with ourselves. If we're convinced and we're brokenhearted about our own sin. Because when, when we talk with others, uh, we can talk then out of a place of integrity about our own sin, our sin, not just your sin, and our need for God's grace, our need for Jesus. And that, I think, can be a powerful and faithful witness to a world that is unwilling to acknowledge so often the power of sin in their lives. And so I think that's a critical part of what it means to be a witness that we are to tell others about Jesus and that we should not pull any punches, but that we should do so in a loving way and in a way that is consistent with our lives, that we ourselves acknowledge our desperate need for grace. The second thing I think is a mark of witness is this. To be a witness is to live in total allegiance to Jesus. To be a witness is to live in total allegiance to Jesus. Look again at Acts chapter 4. The religious authorities, they demand that Peter and John... In verse 18, they demand that they deny Jesus. Don't speak or teach of Jesus anymore, is what they say. To which Peter and John reply, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help but witness what we've seen and heard. Later in Acts 5.29, they will say, we must obey God rather than men. Once they were released... They gathered with other followers of Jesus and they prayed. Did you hear what they prayed in Acts chapter 4? Grant your servants, Lord, to continue to speak your word with boldness. With boldness. Even in the face of imprisonment and threats, they maintained this devotion, this allegiance to Jesus. And it made for this compelling witness to those who saw it. Jesus had, in fact, told them in Luke 21, 12, that their allegiance to him would lead to persecution and suffering. But this would be an opportunity for them to bear witness. And the same is true for us. As followers of Jesus, the power of our witness depends on our willingness to be devoted to Jesus, even at great cost. There's a, a great power in other words, in proclaiming Jesus, no matter what the consequences are. If we're willing to proclaim Jesus, even at great cost to ourselves, it is a powerful witness. Jesus himself manifested this willingness to serve and to suffer as a witness, one that led all the way to the cross for him. And so he calls us to that way of life as witnesses. Back in November, there was a, a lot of debate uh, about a young man named John Allen Chow. Does anybody know this story? You guys heard this a little bit? Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of buzz, a lot of news, a lot of social media about this. Uh, John Allen was a 26-year-old American missionary who was killed by indigenous people of a, a small island off the coast of India in the Bay of Bengal. <clears throat> and some uh, online, there was a lot of chatter online, and a lot of people, what they were saying was uh, that, that, that he was a martyr. But then there was a whole other crowd that was also saying, man, this guy was a total idiot. He was an absolute fool to go to this place in this hostile environment uh, 
totally unprepared. And he went there, and even some went so far to, say, to accuse him of having like this Messiah complex, that he really went there and had nothing to do with, with the people or Jesus. It was all about him. And that's why he did such a stupid thing. Um, regardless, his final journey, uh, journal entry, gave me uh, pause when I read it. In it, Chow left instructions with a, a group of fishermen uh, that he had gotten to know. Uh, and he left instructions for family and friends and a note with them. And this is what he wrote. He said, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry with them or with God if I get killed. The next day, the fishermen saw the islanders dragging his body across the beach and burying it. But that line in his journal stuck with me. It's worth it. I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Few, if any of us, will ever be asked to risk our lives to proclaim Jesus or to share Jesus with others. But we'll all, at some point in our lives, will face rejection. We'll face exclusion. Increasingly, we face public shaming on social media and shunning in our social circles. We may experience financial loss. We may face legal action. The question that we have to be prepared to ask as followers of Jesus is, is it worth it? Is it worth it for us to share Jesus with others, even at great cost to ourselves? Peter and John were bold, and their boldness was infectious. They left from proclaiming Jesus to the authorities and they gather with the people of God and their prayers were for more boldness. And it says that they went on, they continued in bold proclamation, speaking about who Jesus was. They were so convinced of God's power and salvation that it shaped their life together. It shaped their prayers. It made them bold because they loved God and they loved others enough to proclaim and be a witness, even at great cost to themselves. And what I want you to hear is that being a witness, sometimes we get, we get kind of wrapped around the axle here in terms of being a witness, that the motivation for that is guilt. Well, I, I have to share Jesus, and if I don't, I'm not a good Christian. This is not about guilt, right? This is about being so convinced, so confident in God's love for us, so devoted to Jesus that we can't help but talk about Jesus with other people because we want them to know how much God loves them. We want them to know the life that we have come to know in Jesus. And that's why we live as bold witnesses for Christ. So that's the second thing. And then the third point is this. To be witnesses, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be witnesses, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's fascinating is that witness in the Gospels in the book of Acts is, is not just about telling others about Jesus with words. It's also about demonstrating Jesus to others, and particularly demonstrating it in power. 
Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses who are clothed in power from on high. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit empowers, and it certainly empowers us to boldly proclaim, to use words, to tell others about Jesus. But it also empowers us to be a part of God's work to transform people's lives. A demonstrable, embodied, tangible expression of God's love for people. Over and over and over in the Gospels and in Acts, you see this, this connection between the proclamation and the demonstration. You see it in Jesus' life and you see it in the apostles' ministry in Acts. That the kingdom of God is breaking in and it's not just words, it's not just ideas, but it's with power. It's with power. And you see it here in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, the healing of this crippled man, right? That's what kicks this whole thing off. They're walking in and they look at this man and he's, say, he's sitting there saying, help me. And they speak, they eventually speak about Jesus, but they also say, hey, I don't have any money, but what I'll give to you, I'm going to give to you now. And what they give is the power of the Spirit to transform his life, healing, and he's healed. And it's this incredible moment where followed by that, you've got this bold proclamation of the gospel. They stand and thousands of people hear about Jesus and come to faith in him. God uses both, both the proclamation and the demonstration to bear witness and draw people to faith in Jesus. And the church, apostles, should be a place where people not only hear about Jesus, but encounter that Jesus and encounter his spirit and encounter his power in their lives. A place where they not only hear about God's love for them, but a place where God's love is manifest in all kinds of ways, including ways that we cannot fully understand or explain, including ways that transform us inside and on the outside. Sam Storms uh, wrote a great book I've recommended it to you. It's called Practicing the Power. If you haven't gotten a copy, I really encourage you uh, to pick one up because it would be really helpful to read as we're going through this series on Acts. But in that book, he says, if we honestly assess the spiritual condition of our lives and the health of our churches, many of us will be forced to concede that our lives are devoid of meaningful, transformative power. We have an urgent need for greater infusion of God's omnipotence and limitless power in our lives, individually and in the church corporately. And I would agree. I would agree with that. We need a witness in the church of both proclamation and demonstration. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, God empowers all of us, each of us, me, you, every single person in this room who is a follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit with them, and they are empowered by his Holy Spirit, every one of us. And that he gives us the ability to demonstrate that power, whether it be through things like teaching or tongues or exhortation or evangelism, whether it's prophesying or pastoring or the effects of divine prayer, whatever form they take, they are manifest in the body and all followers of Jesus. They are concrete, tangible manifestations of God's life and power in and through the followers of Jesus. And it's essential. It's essential to our life and our growth as witnesses of the risen Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to say it again. You have the Spirit within you. 
And you have the power of the Spirit at work within you. And God wants to use it to transform your life and the lives of those around you. And he calls you to grow in that and to walk in that and to exercise his power, the gift of his presence in your life for his purposes. Primarily to demonstrate his love in the world. You know, a group of us went uh, caroling a few weeks ago. And I have to admit, when I first got here at Apostles, uh, going caroling, that was a tradition I was kind of willing to let die. (laughs) I was not thrilled about going caroling. Um, And so I kind of was skeptical on the front end. Uh, But I went last year. I went, and it was awesome. We had a great group last year, and we had a lot of fun. We did it again this year. And again, I was kind of like, okay, we'll we'll do it. Um, And God is just so faithful. God just totally surprised uh, me and I think all of us with what that night was like. But we, we had a group of us that walked around the heights here and we caroled. And it, it's, the, it's a perfect example of, of just a simple way that God can do this, this witness of both proclamation and demonstration. Because the reality is that we were walking around and just, I mean, just think about some of the Christmas carols that we sing and what the words say about who Jesus is, why he came, and what it means. And we were walking around, standing in front of people's doors, and people were coming out, and we were singing the gospel to people, right? And they're not slamming the door in our face, except for one person. They're not slamming the door in our face. They're, 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 they're standing there, and they're letting us proclaim the good news of Jesus who came, who loves them, who wants them to know life with him. And they're letting it, they're receiving that. And it's incredible. And, and, and I think seeing that and caroling is an amazing thing. But the other thing that, that God did this year is he gave us this incredible opportunity to demonstrate that love in a tangible and powerful way. Almost at the end, we came to a neighbor, and, uh, and <clears throat> we were singing to him. And we had an opportunity afterwards to pray with him. And some of us just went up to the fence of his house, and we, just, we, we were able to lay hands on him, and we, and we prayed for him. And he shared with us he's, he's battling cancer. And the diagnosis, the prognosis is not good. And he's scared. And we got to pray with this man because we walked around our neighborhood and we're just open to what God wanted to do. And we were both proclaiming Jesus and demonstrating Jesus. And we prayed for this man for healing and we prayed for this man for peace against despair. And we trust that the Lord is doing that in his life. But, but it was this powerful, just easy, very very approachable, accessible to me, demonstration of what it can look like when God lets us be witnesses for him in our world. And there are those of you in, our, in this room right now that need to hear that you are called to be that kind of witness. I mean, we're, we're reluctant, some of us, I think, to step into that space, right, where we actually would would do more than words, that we would actually pray for someone on the spot, that we would, that we would try to, to see, God, all right, can you demonstrate your power in some way? I don't even know what that's going to look like right now, Lord, but would you do it because you love this person that's in front of me right now and that we would take that step of faith because there are people in our lives that are hurting. There are people in our lives who are lonely, who are suffering, who are battling disease and sickness. There are people in our lives who have been deeply wounded by others, by themselves. There are people who feel lonely and feel abandoned, people who feel anxious and depressed, and they need a demonstration of God's power in their life. And God has given us that great privilege of being witnesses, 
bearing witness to his love, bearing witness to his life-changing power, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. I want to encourage you to remember that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and that you can be set free from any fear that might hold you back from stepping into that place where you want to demonstrate, allow God to demonstrate his grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion through you. It's not ours. It's not something that we harness, that we work ourselves up to. It is a gift. And it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's a part of our call to be witnesses. And so it's up to God how he acts and when he acts. But he invites us to have faith, to be bold, to trust in his promise that he has given us this power. So be bold. Be bold. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Be in the word. Immerse yourself in prayer. Be with Jesus. We talk about that. Be with Jesus because if you're with him, you'll become like him and you will do the things that he did and that he's called you to do. And Ask him to equip you. Ask him to give you wisdom. Ask him to give you the ability to bear witness to him in the midst of your every day by the power of God's Holy Spirit. God is calling us to be witnesses calling us to tell others about Jesus, calling us to be bold and do that even if it costs, even at great cost to ourselves, to be witnesses filled with his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, we do give you thanks and praise, Lord, for, for these faithful followers of Jesus, for Peter and John and this group that gathered and prayed, and they prayed Lord, that they would be emboldened as witnesses. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that you would embolden us, Lord, that we would not be held back by fear, Lord, that we wouldn't think that we're not good enough or we don't know enough or whatever might keep us from stepping into that place where you might use us to speak about Jesus or to demonstrate the love and the power of the Holy Spirit to others. Lord, help us to be your witnesses right where you placed us, in our, in our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Lord, we want to be witnesses for you, for your glory, and for your name's sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.